Yeah, I mean, to your point, trillions of dollars are being invested into healthcare innovation and statistically, and this is not in healthcare, but even outside of healthcare, statistically only 95, 95% uh, 95 of innovations fail. Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. And if you have an innovative healthcare idea, a company, a device, a software, something that you're looking to get into the market and you're looking at getting started off on the right foot, check out the positioning alignment workshop that we offer at Rehab U Practice Solutions. We basically help you answer the question, value to whom? And then we help you build a strategy for launching that innovation into the uh, the healthcare space. Now, in the same vein as healthcare commercialization and, and market launch and all of that, I'm excited this week to share a conversation with you that I had with uh, Dr. Roxy Mooney from Legacy uh, DNA, and she is a uh, another consultant in the healthcare tech space, and she helps. Uh, health tech innovations with their commercial commercialization process. Um, she, she likes to say that she helps healthcare tech innovators and disruptors build their billion dollar dream business and leave a lasting legacy. So we have a conversation about, okay, you've got this idea, you're looking at taking it maybe into the startup phase, you don't really know what to do. What are the first steps in the process for, for setting the business up in a way that allows it to to get funding, uh, what to think about when you're going to market, um, all of those types of things. And uh, Dr. Roxy and I have a conversation about that. We talk a little bit about her work and her book, which is uh, How Health Innovators Maximize Market Success. It's available on Amazon. We'll link to that in the show notes if you want to go check it out. Um, but without further ado, here is Dr. Roxy Mooney talking about commercializing an innovative healthcare idea or product. Well, hey, Dr. Roxy, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Rafi. Good to be here. Thanks for coming on the show. I, I'm looking forward to talking with you about commercialization, <laughs> kind of like taking the the idea from from maybe just idea to startup to actually getting this in the hands of consumers. But before we do that, Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your interesting PhD, and then what brought you to, to what you're doing now. Sure, absolutely. So um, my background is in marketing. I've been a practitioner of marketing for over two decades now, and um, I launched Legacy DNA as a healthcare marketing agency about 13 years ago. And when I graduated with my doctorate in business in 2017, I started to transform that company and really more focus beyond marketing um, to more of commercialization. Um, my doctorate is in commercializing technology innovation in healthcare. I've had some of my work published in some peer-reviewed journals. 
I took all of my research and doctorate work and published a book, uh, How Health Innovators Maximize Market Success. I also host and produce my own podcast show called The Health Innovator Show for the last five years. Um, also, you know, kind of partnered with you in trying to transform the industry and help more tech innovators be successful. Um, and so, you know, everything that I do is kind of taking those unique insights that I gained from that doctrinal journey and also my experience and putting that into methodologies and frameworks to help health tech founders be able to increase their chances of success. Yeah. I don't know if you'd know off the top of your head, but it seems like there's you know, especially maybe 2021, 22, and even in the early part of 2023, a lot of money got spent by VC firms and all kinds of stuff, investing in some of these healthcare technology companies. And it seems like, at least on my end, like not a lot of them were super, super successful, right? Like, do you know on the top of your head, like how many on average um, healthcare tech startups actually make it versus those that end up just fizzing out? Sure. Yeah. I mean, to your point, trillions of dollars are being invested into healthcare innovation and statistically, and this is not in healthcare, but even outside of healthcare, statistically only 95, 95% uh, 95 of innovations fail. So only yeah. 5% actually succeed. And then when you take into consider healthcare with all the additional complexities of regulatory and reimbursement, um, you know, that percentage of potential success is even smaller. Um, so that's why the work that you're doing, the work that we're doing is is so important. So that way those investments actually start to transform healthcare and um, you know, generate an ROI for everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then tell us a little bit about, since your doctorate is in this, what is commercialization? I think for most people to get like maybe they're a tech founder or something like that, they were just worried about building the product or building the software. It's their cool, it's their baby. But when you say commercialization, like people's eyes start glazing over. So what is commercialization? Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's funny because you're right. Commercialization is a subset of many, many decisions that are made and that they're all interrelated and interconnected. And together they make the commercialization plan or the commercialization process. And so a lot of times, like you said, tech innovators will think of product and they'll think of launch. And those yeah. are like really the main two functions that they're mostly concerned about. And um, and within a launch, you might have the function of marketing. Um, and, and marketing is still a part of commercialization. But I was describing it the other day as almost like a Russian doll set. If you if you took that visualization, the little small doll in the center is going to be the marketing. And on top of that, you would have um, like product. And then on top of that, you would have sales and then you would have customer experience and then you would have your go to market strategy and then you would have commercialization. Your big doll would, you know, biggest doll would be your business strategy. But commercialization is basically all the decisions that you're making to take a solution from an idea to some type of financial ROI and significant customer adoption. Um, and that goes, those the, the, the biggest distinctions I think are the timing that you start to um, think about this. Um, a lot of times we don't think about launching something until the product's ready to yeah. be launched into the marketplace. Whereas commercialization, those, I, those decisions should be made way, way, way earlier on kind of figuring, uh, it's uh, like taking informing development 
development. Like if we're going to, if this is a strategy, it doesn't make sense to add this feature or something. And your, and your business model. So like, I mean, this is something that I think, you know, is often overlooked is um, how am I going to make money from this? There's so many people, especially in healthcare, health tech, that are really passionate about the patients that they want to serve or the cause that they want to solve for and really think that, oh, well, you know, I'm going to build something great and do a good thing and the money's going to come and they're not yeah. necessarily fleshing out like um, that reimbursement pathway, which is so critical. Um, so, you know, what if you compare the searches, because when I graduated in 2018, I was like, Woohoo, I have this like strong doctorate behind me. I'm going to like transform the whole company. And all we're going to talk about is commercialization because nobody really respects marketing and healthcare anyway. Yeah. And so, you know, thinking that that was going to be a game changer for us achieving our own hockey stick growth. And I was like, wait a minute, you know, when I'm talking to people about commercialization, it's eyes glazed over yeah. and they're like, I don't really even know what she's saying. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The search volume for marketing is way higher than the search volume for commercialization. And what I've found out is that even when people are searching commercialization, they're searching the the phrase is what is commercialization. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how many how many people or clients have you worked with them that like they maybe they've gotten this far down the path and they're like having to restructure or rebuild is it one of those things like if you if you get started off this path one way and then you got to shift like this can cause yeah. issues for for the the whole company right yeah absolutely you know the number one reason for failure is that there's no market need yeah and like that's something for us to, you know, all really seriously consider. We have so many biases as human beings that we think everyone is going to love our solution because especially when we've experienced the problem personally, we think that it's very pervasive. Um, or even if that problem is very pervasive, it does not mean that anyone is interested in exchanging dollars to solve it right now. So yeah. being able to go through that discovery process and that validation um, of demand is so important. But, you know, honestly, health tech innovators don't really like it because it takes longer and it costs more. And we believe everyone's going to love our stuff. So we just build it and then we launch it. And then when it doesn't yeah. sell, sometimes we're like, oh, I was just too early. <laughs> yeah. Well, and sometimes it could be something like the same tool positioned a different way is going to knock it out of the park, you know, like, oh, you just had the wrong payer or the wrong market or the wrong whatever. So um, like it kind of in that vein, what steps are or should um, some of these tech founders take to kind of make sure that, okay, we're on the right path. We've chosen the right, maybe the market, like maybe even identifying the potential market is a big deal, right? Like what steps should be taken at the early outset of an idea to make sure that you're on the right path for developing a product or a, a device or something. Definitely. So in my mind, the first phase of that is that path to profit. If, if you can't figure out the path to profit, then really what are we doing, right? So in that path to profit phase, it's really being able to map out what are your resources and capabilities? How are you, which, with, which of those are you able to kind of build a um, competitive advantage around um, being able to map out the competitor landscape and really be able to identify what's the white space? 
Where is it that you can position yourself and kind of own that subset of the market and aligning that with the organizational resources and capabilities? And that really starts to formulate um, that path to profit. Another really important component of it is the actual um, business model. Um, I call it like a three horizon framework that's used um, and really being able to map out the different phases of the business that the visionary has. And this is really important because a lot of times we health tech innovators will have a really big vision yeah, of huge. how they want to change the world and struggle with being able to break that apart into, okay, this is how we're going to make money now in phase one or horizon one. This is how we're going to make money in horizon two. And then maybe horizon three is that big dream of how they're going to change the world. But when you really map it out into those three horizons, it gives investors um, a lot more confidence in your ability to successfully commercialize an innovation when you have a path to profit that's then going to fuel the next phases of evolution of the business. And yeah. it can be hard for a health tech innovator who struggles with, but that's not what I want to do. That's not my whole vision and having to really make peace with, but this is how I'm going to best be able to make money now and then be able to grow into it. And what I've found is that when you're working with a health tech innovator and they actually see the three horizons mapped out, this is who I'm serving, this is what I'm delivering, this is how I'm making money, then all of a sudden that gives them peace of mind that yes, I do have a path to achieving my big vision and I also have a path to getting some cash flow in the door. Yeah. Yeah, I think a big piece right there is just that like having a stable foundation. Like it doesn't doesn't matter if you have a grand vision, if you run out of money three years before you get there, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And also, you know, sometimes uh, innovators will think when I'm pitching to potential investors that that grand vision is what's going to motivate them to invest. And sometimes it is the case, but often it is really being able to show that path to profit? How are you going to incrementally make money to su su substantiate the investment and the funding that they're giving you? Um, and, you know, so just being able to show I've got this gigantic, totable, addressable market, and I'm going yeah. to service, you know, diabetes and, you know, heart disease. And I can, I can, you know, like, who's your kind of weaving into the other question that you asked around target market, who's your target market? Everyone. Everyone is. Yeah. Providers and I can help these 12 different therapies. And a lot of times, innovators will think that that gives people confidence, investors confidence that they're going to be able to make a lot of money because you can serve a lot of people with a lot of things. And really, all it does is dilute confidence in that you're going to be able to do anything because you're trying to be all things to too many people. Yeah, I'll tell clients all the time. I'm like, listen, yeah, you can serve the entire like physical therapy industry, but let's focus on like, what is the what who are the people that are paying you now and how are you gonna get more of them? Like that's what investors really want to see, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's easy yeah. in healthcare because there's so many people that are sick or that need the innovation or or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. I talk a lot about the bowling pin strategy and really being able to pit. You can kind of think of that as each um, potential market segment represent, being represented in a bowling pin. Yeah. Sometimes we try to knock them all down at the same time, which as you 
as we know, you know, if you've ever been bowling, like yeah. getting a strike is really hard. Um, <laughs> but it's a lot easier if you just try to knock down the front pin and yeah. then you use that momentum and leverage to knock down the next pin and so on. And especially if you are an early stage innovator or an even emergent innovator that, you know, you've got limited bandwidth, um, attention and usually financial resources. So being able to um, sp spreading that out of I'm trying to win a business in Singapore and China and the US and each one is even a slightly different variation of what that solution might look like is really a losing strategy. Um, it it's really being able to pick out who is going to be that target market first and aligning all of your resources and focus toward knocking down that first pin. And then you can expand into those other markets or solving those other problems for that existing market. Yeah. Well, and how much of this is, is changed too? I'm thinking now of a couple of clients that I've worked with in the past, like their, their end game was building the business to a certain level and then being acquired by maybe one of their competitors or, you know, whatever they're building a strategic advantage or they're going to be a platform that gets acquired. Like, part of the commercialization process, does that include like understanding that end game? Like our end game is to dominate the market and be like the device to do X or the innovation to do X, or like our plan is to build this to a point where one of these other bigger players is going to want us. Like how much of that plays into, okay, this is where the dollars get spent and this is where we're focusing our, our current market strategy or whatever it is. Absolutely. I mean, I think like Stephen Covey always said, begin with the end in mind, right? So we need to be able to understand what our ultimate end game is or what our goal for our end game is. But I also think holding that loosely because things might evolve over time. What I find what happens with innovators when we're not defining that end game up front is that we tend to be a little bit more loosey goosey with managing the business and the growth of the business um, because maybe we, don't have big financial uh, aspirations or we're yeah. not trying to go IPO or sell it. We want to be able to just run this business, you know, for the rest of my life kind of thing. And that puts uh, us at risk of being able of not adhering to some of the best practices to actually build a sustainable business. So even if you end up wanting to run the business and never IPO, never sell it, um, that you still want to have all of the same best practices that would have been necessary to actually get to those next phases of your exit strategy. Yeah. Well, and maybe you can walk us through some of those best practices because I think like one of the biggest, not one of the biggest risks, but a big risks for an organization that I've seen is like they take on a lot of capital and it ends up crushing them because then they end up making you know, either stupid decisions <laughs> or there's this pressure from outside investors now to get an ROI and they end up making concessions and then they end up like running a business they don't want. So before they do that and before that mistake is made, starting with that end in mind, like what are some of those best practices that maybe a, a healthcare tech founder should be thinking about like when they're building the actual business? Sure. Um, you know, it makes me think of some of the practices that are in the book that's not necessarily dedicated to healthcare, but built to sell. Right. Oh, yes. like building yeah, yeah. an organization to sell it. If you're following that model, you are putting into practice, you're putting into practices like profit margin, like profitability and profit yeah. margin, right? Like it's you're part never of the business model. <laughs> right. You're never gonna be able to because again, some of these, you know, so often um, you know, the business is almost like an expensive hobby or expensive yeah. passion. Um, because you know, we're talking about solving problems that have so much um 
hum, human appeal, right? It's, it, it's usually a, a very much of a, a cause and a mission and yeah. a purpose and that it founder can't imagine not being able to fix this in healthcare because so many lives are at stake. And so, you know, just really being able to um, make sure that you are managing your books, managing your profitability um, and your P&L, um, because those would be things that you would normally have to do if you were going to sell your organization, whereas you might be able to kind of like skirt around, I got money in the bank, so yeah. I'm good, and not necessarily assessing all of the things that you're doing um, that maybe are good, but what are the ones that are actually the most profitable yeah. um, might help, you know, having that profit lens can help you make a lot more decisions. And sometimes we don't have that profit lens if we're not building something that we plan to sell, even if we don't. Yeah. It almost reminds me of that book, uh, Islands of Profit in a Sea of Red Ink. It's like how many businesses are running things and they, they look profitable. But if you look under the hood, it's like, man, you're bleeding money here, here and there. Um, and it's like they said, they're yeah. trying to fix all this problem and it's a, it's an expensive hobby rather than it is a, you know, a lean business or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And really being able to kind of look in the mirror or, you know, be faced with the reality of like, I might like something, I might be passionate about something, but if it is a cost center and not a profit center, then I might need to make some hard decisions if, I want to have a sustainable business that I might be, be able to sell in the future. Yeah. Well, and at, in your experience, how easy of a, of a decision or how difficult of a decision it is, is that for like a, a tech founder who's, you know, in this zone where they're trying to solve all these problems and it is emotional and there's usually a personal element involved, like to have to make those decisions of, okay, I've got to cut this department or this, you know, initiative or whatever, like that can be a very difficult decision, right? Yeah, and I think it's really hard for health tech innovators because when you're in that early stage, you know, and this is a good thing, right? You're talking to as many people as possible because you don't know who's going to um, give you funding. You don't know who's going to introduce you to that person that's going to be the game changer for your company, right? That's going to, um, who's going to buy your solution. So you're networking all angles and you're looking, you know, I mean, I've talked to innovators that are part of several different accelerator programs programs and have advisors and board of directors. And yeah. so they've got so many people that are speaking all of these different things into their life, into their business. So it's really, you know, sometimes, you know, people are like changing with the wind of whoever's the advisor that they spoke to last, which can, which can be very detrimental. Um, and so, you know, one advisor might tell you, oh, you should go after this market and you really don't want to service that market. So it can be a hard decision for the innovator of determining like, what are these um, principles um, that I'm going to hold tightly to. So I make sure that I'm not building a business that everyone else thinks that I should build, but I'm building a business that I want. But I'm also balancing that with listening to great feedback to adapt and pivot as I need to, to have a successful, sustainable company. And so the way that I usually guide people is the why should never change the mission. Yeah. Right. But how you accomplish it 
can change and fluctuate. And that's the kind of feedback that you would want to be um, listening to, to kind of um, uh, maybe adapt your business model or adapt your um, your go-to-market strategy based upon that feedback. But if somebody's giving you feedback that really changes like your core purpose of why you're doing what you're doing, then you need to push back and say, that's not the business that I want to actually build. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and how much of that too comes from like, the funding source, like I'm sure taking money from, you know, I've never started a healthcare technology startup or anything like that, but I have plenty of clients who have gotten in bed with is the bad word, but they've taken money yeah. from some investor. And now they're like, man, this is changing the business more than I want to. So when, yeah. when it comes to that, like the whole commercialization process, and now we're going to bring out, bring in outside investors or capital to make this business work, like how much of um, almost a vetting needs to be done on the part of the startup to make sure that they're getting a good, maybe a good partner is not a right word, but a, an investment source or capital source that's going to be good for them strategically in the long run as well. And maybe not make them um, make concessions on some of those principles or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and really being able to do the homework of really documenting, not just in your head or in your gut instinct, but documenting what are these absolutes that are like non-negotiables for your business and using that as a lens when you're going out and you're you know, allowing, courting these in potential investors um, or even advisors to make sure, and then using that, whereas you're interviewing them and qualifying them yeah. just as much as they are with you, you know, that should be some kind of equal um, power um, and leverage at that. I mean, of course, it's easier said than done when you're just trying to get, you know, the next 250K to make payroll when you've got, you know, yeah. so many lives that are relying on you. Um, but it's really, really critical because there are a lot of times where you want to say no, even when it would be a lot easier to say yes. Yeah, absolutely. I have that conversation every now and then with, with folks. I'm like, listen, this is as much a, it's two uh, professional individuals and organizations discerning whether or not it even makes sense to do business together. And just because you need the money doesn't necessarily mean the answer is always yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Whether they believe in a B2B or a B2C strategy, whether they're looking to cash out in a year or two, or whether they're in this in the long run. I mean, there's so many different factors um, that you want to craft questions around to make sure that you're selecting somebody that's the right fit for your vision. Awesome. Um, I guess some, maybe what are some of the, the big things that, that, uh, startups should be looking at when they're looking at taking that next step into funding. Like maybe, you know, there's like, we can go to VC or we can do like some of these crowdfunding measures or like small investors, you know, small time investors, maybe with accreditation, or maybe there are a bunch of doctors investing in the, in the product. Like is one better than the other? Does it kind of depend on what the end goal is? I think it depends on the type of business. Yeah. Um, so we have a client that we're working right now we're with right now who developed a product that's used in, um, how do I describe this? Um, that's used for a very specific, uh, type of patient in a very specific moment or time in that care continuum. So they're not going to be ideal for crowdfunding because those people that would normally invest in that are not going to, they're not the average consumer yeah. that, you know, so like 
it's really is a product that's only going to be right for you if you're having surgery and a very specific kind of surgery. So it doesn't make sense for them to do the crowdfunding path because it's not like it's going to be, oh, well, you'll get early access to this product if you invest in the company <laughs> um, or you'll get more of it. <laughs> you know, you're not going to need it yeah. if, you if you don't have the surgery. So it really does. I mean, I would say leave all be creative um, and leave all of the options on the table um, and, uh, and for consideration and then look at the type of business that you have and um, make sure that you're choosing the ones that are going to be the best fit for you. And a lot of times, too, it also depends on what kind of connections and network you have that's going to determine some of the different financial um, funding pathways that are available to you. Yeah, cool deal. Um, let's see here. Well, we're, we're getting near the bottom of the hour here. So I always ask this, if there's like one or two main points you would want a listener to walk away with from the episode, specifically around like commercializing uh, an innovative idea or a business, what, what would they be? Um, don't underestimate the power of story. Um, most innovators that I come across, they have a, they have no story or they have a terrible story. Um, if too often health tech innovators are looking at their competitors and um, mimicking that, and that's never a winning strategy. Um, and in healthcare, there's so many times um, that we're using jargon and we're really just talking about who we are, how awesome we are and what we do. And we really need to flip that and focus on what is the value proposition? Mm -hmm. How are we clearly and succinctly communicating that in a compelling way? And how does that also fit into the brand story? The brand story should be part of that differentiation. Um, you know, you think of the brand story for Chipotle is very different than the brand story for Taco Bell. And yeah. it, because of that, it can, they can both be in the same space, but they can also be targeting a very different customer segment. And so the story becomes really important. Story has a huge effect in how much money you raise and how whether you actually have paying clients or how many paying clients you have. So I think being able to invest in story is really critical. Um, another component of that is the offer. I can't tell you how many times that um, health tech innovators don't even have an offer, even if they're really clear on the value proposition, not a quantifiable offer on what's in it for you. So it might yeah. say like, generically like, well, we help people, you know, A, B and C people lower cost and increase revenue. Well, everybody says that. Exactly. Yeah. You know, how can you put a brand promise and a guarantee behind it? So where you're saying that you're going to increase revenue by X percent by X time frame, or you're going to lower cost by X, right? And, you know, sometimes you've got to have a couple of wins under your belt to be able to have some very specific quantifiable claims with your offer that you can stand behind. But this is something that I think is too often overlooked in our industry. And yeah. there's so many more, so many more we could talk about. <laughs> well, I mean, that leads right into this. So where can people find out more about you? You mentioned the book, you mentioned the uh, legacy DNA. So where can people find you, connect with you, learn more about your commercialization service? And then um, I think the book title is How Health Innovators Maximize Market Success, right? Yes, it is. So I'm on every 
every social media platform, just All about it. Dr. <laughs> Ross Mooney, um, LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram, um, YouTube, any of those channels, you can find my content and reach out to me. Um, if you have any questions, happy to support you. I also have a health innovators community with um, an online learning platform. So there's a lot of opportunity um, to really be able to access a lot of my strategies and framework and content um, with for free. Um, so, you know, if anybody's interested, you know, reach out and, you know, let's explore how we can collaborate. Awesome. Cool deal. Well, Roxy, thanks so much for being on the show. You got it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation all about commercialization and all the ins and outs of successfully launching a healthcare technology or innovation into the market space. I know I get messages all the time from folks who are either interested in the podcast, they want to be on the podcast, or they just want to, you know, quote unquote, pick my brain about, you know, this tech idea that they're going to launch in the musculoskeletal space or something like that. And one of the things that Dr. Roxy mentioned, which I think is worth mentioning again now, is the whole idea of the difference between building something that's going to be valuable or that's going to get a lot of adoption and then actually getting or having a successful business built off of that innovation. So oftentimes the the conversation goes something along the lines of this this technology is going to help a lot of people it's really user friendly it's going to do xyz and then the question is okay well who's going to pay for it well i don't know how we're going to get it paid for i don't know who's going to pay for it or, or what the the uh, how we're going to charge for it um, but i think it's going to help a lot of people and the idea is that roxy pointed out as well you need to have before you get in the point where you're launching this thing into the market you need to square up the things like how we're going to make money, the dollars and cents, you know, what is the sales strategy going to be? What are the, you know, what's the target market? What is the, the group of people that are going to benefit the most from this in a way that they're going to pay us for it? And then what is the pricing model that we're going to use or, or, or whatever the revenue model that we're going to use to build this business? Um, and that is, you know, side note, that's one of the things we do with the, uh, the market penetration roadmap that we do here at Rehab You Practice Solutions, you can go to strategy.rehabupracticesolutions.com to learn more about that. We help you find your target audience. We help you come up with your, your positioning strategy around it. And then we also do some work on the the monies piece. The how are you gonna make how are you gonna get some ROI for the the time, the energy, and the resources you spent into building or developing this innovation. But again, one of the things that I think uh, Dr. Roxy really pointed out was just that some of these decisions need to be made way in advance of the, the market penetration or the actual launch of the software or the tool or the technology. Because if, for example, your business or your tool is based off of or is designed to help clinicians with this specific pain point, then sometimes it doesn't make sense to spend more time building in a feature on the payer side or the provider or the, the patient side or something similar. Again, in healthcare, you've got the four major stakeholders, the payers, the providers, the patients, and the policymakers. And depending on who you're really trying to serve, I mean, ultimately, the end goal is to make sure patients have higher quality care, achieve better clinical outcomes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But 
you're doing that by serving a specific stakeholder in that value chain. And depending on who you're serving or who you're really targeting, really should inform the future development and iterations of that product or service or tool. For example, I was working with a, uh, a healthcare technology company recently that was started thinking that they were going to work with and target um, healthcare providers. They were going to they were going to give them this kind of tool, and it was going to help with some data tracking and some outcomes measurement and and the this that and the other. And it turns out that when they when we did some work, when we did some research, that the tool that they had developed is actually very very beneficial for um, managed care organizations and healthcare payers that have a vested interest, Workman's Comp, for example, have a vested interest in some of the data that they're able to display and develop and you know track. So it was a pivot that they that they had to make into that market, but it informed what features and what development, further development went into the tool and the displays and the interface because they, they knew now that they weren't going to just target the, you know, a clinician, a boots on the ground clinician or clinical organization, but they were really going high level and they were going to have to display the information in a way that would make sense for a payer who's maybe doing utilization review or utilization management or, or you know, managed care in general uh, to have that data. So it is, you know, maybe it's the same data, it's just displayed in two different ways. And do we spend a lot of time building both out or building one versus the other? Well, if your target is going to be those payers, those uh, those organizations that that you've chosen to uh, to target, if you would, then it makes sense to spend more of your time building there instead of building for the payers on the side or build, you know, expending resources building for the payers if that's not really your ideal market that you're going for. So, um, thank you, Roxy, for for sharing some of those insights. If you like the show, head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. It helps people find us um, and share the show with somebody you think might find it interesting. Um, Just a side note, I'm going to be gone. I'm going to the beach for a week, so it'll probably be, I don't know, a week or two until another episode drops. Usually we're fairly consistent, but uh, family comes first, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm not doing any work. I'm going to hopefully throw the cast net and uh, catch some fish with the kids. Other than that, um, be safe, everyone. Be healthy. I will talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to The Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.RehabUPracticeSolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.